This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to Texting. This is episode 111 with Amy Hoy, that's me, and Patrick McKenzie. This is Patrick's computer secretary. He is asleep right now because it is 2.17 a.m. If this is an emergency, hit any number to wake him up. And thanks to our special guest, uh, Jason C. Roberts and Justin Vincent. Hey, guys. Hey. I didn't know there was a Jason C. That's my middle initial. It's just It just makes me sound important. It's also written on your Skype profile. Oh, it does? Is that what it has? Okay. Yes. You're trying to be like John John Dvorak. Well, Jason Roberts is such a boring name. You know, throw a C in there to jazz it up a little bit. What a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why we tried to give our, our kids sort of uh, slightly more interesting names because the Roberts is such a bland last name. How you know, it occurs to me that Amy is the only person here who doesn't have two first names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> your last name is not a very popular. I mean, it's like a stripper first name, though. What? <laughs> I know a lot of little girls named McKenzie. <laughs> It's a third generation super I was, name. I was very nearly a young boy named Mackenzie. Luckily, my father, my mother vetoed that suggestion. Oh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie, that's like didn't help uh, a cousin of mine though. What was this like? Uh, Catch twenty two, major, 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 major. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Did Jason read Catch twenty two? Yes. Yeah, Long time was... ago. Okay, so uh, what what we got today, Amy? Got any topics for us? Oh shit! I was supposed <laughs> to have topics. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about the internet and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Just when you thought the internet couldn't get any more awesome. You know, one thing, so last night I I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia, which is sort of rare for me. And I was up at three in the morning just browsing. Uh, Essentially, I got stuck on Reddit. And one of the things I tend to read late at night if I can't fall asleep is uh, the IMA section, subreddit. And they had this great, Mm -hmm. they had this really great, um, Ask me anything with Ken Jennings, and he's like a 74 time Jeopardy champion. And the guy was mm-hmm. hilarious. And uh, I sent it to you, Justin. What did you think of it? I thought it was so funny. He, he had some really good responses. Uh, I, I can't kind of reel them off directly from memory, but the, the one about old people just had me in hysterics. Justin, why don't you read this part? So you're, you're, good at, you're better at reading than I am out loud. Sure. So, uh, this little yeah. section that I sent you, the, 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 here's yeah. the, the question was. Um, will you write a limerick for Reddit, please? And go on, you go pick up from there. There once was a host named Trebek, whose moustache was sexy as heck. It would have been weird if he'd grown a beard like Conan or Riker on Trek. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's response uh. to that goes, well, this is it, the pinnacle of the internet. It's all down here from here, boys. You will, you will all be able to tell your grandkids about the moment when they ask, what was the internet like when you were young? And you can say, I remember the day the internet had its greatest moment. It was the day that Jeopardy's, Jeopardy's superhero, Ken Jennings, visited Reddit and wrote a limerick about Alex Trebek and, and that also referenced Conan and Star Trek. And then you can direct them to a link purportedly containing the poem, but will really just play a Rick Astley song. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was the funniest thing on that whole thread was someone said, what has been the single biggest change in your life since your epic winning streak besides the money? And, and he says, and by the way, he, his handle that he's called himself is Watson's Bitch, which is funny in its own right. Um, but his answer is, 
Old people can't keep their dry, lilac-scented hands off me. Man, do old people ever love Jeopardy. I can't go anywhere in public where there might be old people, like Hallmark stores or cemeteries. I mean, it's like that nonstop. I, I, I was just, I, I, that actually kept me up an extra half hour just reading through. There was like, you know, a couple thousand comments. Really good. So I'm pretty, much out, of, I'm pretty much out of material, guys. That's, that's pretty much it. Well, listen, I've actually got a, I've got a question um, that this brings up. Do you, do you guys um, think that Reddit won because Dig failed? Or do you think that Reddit just won? I don't believe that Reddit won. <laughs> ah, okay, cool. I, they're all going to fail. I actually kind that. of agree with that one. Without meaning to slag on them too much, they have a wildly popular website with people who don't pay money for anything and have difficulty keeping the lights on. Um, yay. I see. So, Do the, do the Reddit ads not generate a whole lot of revenue for them? They've been having problems, so presumably not. Because they're, they're, they're in, they're, they were bought by Condé Nast, right? So, the, so they're just some small subsidiary of like half a dozen people. And I'm just wondering what kind of revenue they, they generate for Condé Nast. Talking ballpark, ballpark figures, like probably not enough to cover uh, six fully loaded employees. Wow. That is kind of shocking yeah. to consider something is, uh, that has that big of a presence on the web can't even make enough money to support six people. That's interesting. And, and, and yet they're the rock star archetypes that, that we're sold, you know. So this kind of goes hand in hand with, is it really worth going for that, <laughs> that kind of a, a, a play? Depends on what you want, right? If you want to stay, keep your doors open and pay people, maybe not. <laughs> um, but I think the reason that I would say that Reddit hasn't won is because it's just a matter of time before they decline into obscurity, just like every other site before them. I mean, who remembers Fark, right? Fark, still there, still making money. No one thinks they're talking about Fark anymore. Right. What was Fark again? Exactly. Was it sort of like a, was it a curated site? Of, it was of, Reddit before Reddit. Huh. And it was just one guy, wasn't it? Or was that it? I was don't it a, know. But I, I do I know that they, they had memberships. People paid to uh, have like special tags and stuff on their profiles. Huh. Did, did, Patrick, did, did you ever use Fark or read Fark or whatever? I've probably seen that exactly once when it appeared in my younger brother's uh, Apache logs. <laughs> no, Slashdot was my poison of choice prior to joining um, Global on Spolsky Forums and then Hacker News. Okay, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to, to you two guys about was this idea of um, finding an audience first. It's kind of like an ideal that I'd like to get my head around, but I don't understand quite how it works. How do you find an audience and then turn that into money? <laughs> Magic. Duh. <laughs> well, wait, you know what's interesting? Before, before, you, before you answer that, Amy, it's, it's funny. So before this interview, I... I I guess yesterday I got a little nervous and I thought, you know what? I, I wonder if matching Amy and Patrick together is going to be a good idea because of their sort of different approaches. And I, you know, Patrick strikes me as, as someone, or probably strikes everyone this way, is he's extremely analytical and uh, scientific in his approach. Um, whereas I Amy, people very well on that one. Yeah. You, you actually freaked out a few people, few of our listeners. They were like, man, I would never want to go to war with that guy or I wouldn't want that guy on the other side because he just, never quits it is just like this relentless optimization where amy strikes me as someone who just goes off of gut and instinct and inspiration and maybe doesn't always even worry about drilling down to find out what the what the core drivers were but just going after some things that that she's interested in and believes in and then it works and you know whatever magic whatever you want to call it so amy what do you you know i completely wrong (laughs) 
<laughs> I well, because I, I said I sent that email to uh, Patrick yesterday. I said, you know, what if we what if we push you for a couple of weeks and, and match you up with uh, Rob Walling, and maybe that would be a better mat, better you know pair. And he's like, oh, I think we got plenty of you know common. So you know, and he gave me a few things that would be worth talking about. So um, I, I I you know said fine. No, so I what, feel am like I wrong? I'm playing dodgeball again in school, and you're trying to unpick me. <laughs> no, I I was unpicking Patrick. <laughs> no, no, I was. I was just, I was trying to, I was trying, it's like almost like in a, uh, you know when they do a seating chart at a wedding? You try and <laughs> people together who are really gonna, there's gonna be great chemistry. And I was just like, you know, I, I was starting to doubt that that was, the chemistry was gonna work. I, I, How are you gonna get out of this one, Jason? <laughs> well, I, I, I think I'm gonna be proved wrong is what's gonna happen. I just thought it was funny. Um, that is funny. I'm curious, Amy, what, what are your thoughts on that? Am I completely wrong about your approach and the way you so, think of I often don't quantify what I'm researching into like the minutest numbers. For example, I don't count stuff. If I'm like looking for an audience, I don't usually count the number of people I find or mentions or whatever. Uh, I do look for trends, but the thing is that I do this through by sifting through massive amounts of data. What I do research okay, so you, is like the thing that I do. Oh, okay. So you actually do do the research. It's not just it because I, I, I think we had, when we talked last time you were on, we, we, we mentioned, I guess, some analytics and A-B testing. And I think at that time you hadn't done a lot of that. Is, is that true? Is that just a, a type, just a type of analysis that you don't spend as much time on? Yes, that's, that's exactly true. It's a type of analysis I don't spend nearly as much time on. I um, am very wary of micro-optimizations because mm -hmm. it's a hill-climbing algorithm, right? You might think that you're actually at a peak, but it's really just a local maximum. And so... Uh, well, I like to say that it's polishing shit, right? You can start off with a terrible premise and a terrible landing page and terrible sales message, and you can split test it into something that's a little bit better. But if you started off with something bad to start with, you have no idea if you're ever going to reach like the actual optimum amount. You just know that it's better than before, slightly. And to do successful A-B testing, you need a lot of volume. So right. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I test things in a more general way. Like, I know that our old sales page actually converted better for Freckle, and I think I know why that is. I haven't gotten around to redoing the current sales page, but right now I'm focused more on bringing people in, because if we only have 400 people look at the page a day, um, and the traffic, like, sources vary so wildly. If they're coming from CSS design sites, they sign up for free accounts and rarely do anything, but if they come from referral, direct referral, like, people tell them to go there, uh, they sign up much more often, so... I feel like if we, you know, tweaked the headlines, that would be the wrong thing to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you talk about the kind of data analysis you do, could you tell us a little more about that? Sure. So when I cre go and create products, I survey the field. Like I see what are people actually using? Are they paying for it? Are these people I would want to have as customers? You know, what so are the... So first of all, you, you find the audience, right? Absolutely. And how do you do that part? Typically, I sell to people who are similar to me. Uh, that's just the easiest way to do it. Now, most people, if you, if you tell them, you know, you're the customer, well, it's not true, right? That's like the, the wisdom that's, that needs to be questioned. Um, for example, people in my, my class, they're like, but programmers, I'm a programmer, and programmers don't buy things. It's like, you're wrong. You're not actually the customer. I sell to programmers every day. Programmers support huge whole industries, even individual programmers buying stuff. So it's important to, to realize when you're not the same as your audience, but that you can look at your audience that you're in programming or freelancing or design <clears throat> with a fresh eye, like an anthropologist. 
but you still have the benefit of, of knowing where to go and where to look. So once, you, once you've thought of the audience, then what's, what's your next step? Hunting them down. <laughs> I read <laughs> so many forums, for example, mailing lists, blogs. It's all market research. So if you, I've gotten to the point where I think you could plot me down in a forum and give me a couple hours and I could come up with a product for those people just by looking at the trends of what they talk about, what they're worried about, and the questions that they ask over and over. Hmm. That is that is like anthropological work, right? You, 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 yeah. you go and sit yourself, place yourself into a community or culture with which you're unfamiliar, and then you just analyze. Absolutely. To, to put it in a sort of nasty way, you're stalking your prey. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I like that one. So one thing that... Um, that Patrick has done some writing about recently and knows a lot about is SEO as a, as a way to bring a reliable, consistent traffic source. Um, and before I, I want to, Patrick, I want to ask you about that in one sec, but first, Amy, I mean, have you, do you do anything on the SEO front for Freckle? Not really. Uh, what we've done are sort of just intelligent defaults, like uh, the word Freckle and time tracking is in our title. Um, we link to Freckle. We link to it as Freckle time tracking. Uh, we have that across all the pages. That's pretty much it. Freckle's in the domain name. Okay, so uh, Patrick, now here's the first of all, I don't know anything about SEO. And I, I know a little bit more after reading your article, but when Justin has talked about SEO, we've had Rob Walling on, and, and they'll bring up the term SEO. I don't even know what the hell people are talking about. I mean, are they talking about putting meta tags? Are they talking about link exchanges? Well, what is it? Uh. That's a, that's a wide question. It's kind of like asking, what is marketing? The simplest answer is SEO is doing stuff that makes you rank higher on Google. Or, no, actually, that isn't even true. It's, SEO is doing stuff that gets more people to visit your website via organic searches, whether by ranking higher on very competitive terms or by ranking for a larger basket of less competitive terms. Um, typically, when people talk SEO, they could talk about, well, there's a lot of things. They could be talking about on-page optimizations, like, you know, tweak the title, tweak the meta tags, which is better than doing nothing, and there's a lot of people who do nothing. But um, uh, usually you'd be thinking of more strategic items, hopefully, like uh, how can I create content at scale at my website, or how can I uh, get links to my website at scale, because links are the determinant of uh, rankings for competitive searches. So, for example, like... Um, Amy and I both have what you might call personal brands. And uh, personal brands are a factor in SEO because it makes people who are likely to link to you and uh, gives you options like, you know, coming on texting and talking about your products for a little while, likely getting a link and exposure on the Internet via that. Uh, so most people wouldn't think, okay, you know, being Internet famous is an SEO technique, but it totally is. In that case, right. I do SEO. Right. <laughs> But it, it seems to me that, at least in terms of your recent article of the My Ginkgo blog, it, it seemed to be a sure. lot about writing articles uh, that might discuss, maybe not directly, but at least indirectly, your product and what you're trying to do with it and the problems you're trying to solve. Is that is that right? So that's one thing you could do. Um, like, I'm looking at uh, Amy's Freckle site right now, and one way to almost certainly increase the amount of traffic this site is getting is to, you know, increase the total number of words on it from somewhere in the, you know, order of 2,000 to somewhere in the order of 200,000, just about time tracking. 
and many, so, many more words than 200,000 have been published about uh, time tracking. But so I would call that content marketing, which is a big thing that I do. In fact, it's like the reason that you know who I am is because I do content marketing. But I, I don't mm -hmm. target search engines. I don't worry about keywords. I target people and their, mm -hmm. their, the, the things that, that tickle their interest. Um, and so, but for example, Freckle is a very strange name. And so if you search for Freckle, we're on the front page. Very easy. That's just mm -hmm. sort of a, tr a trick. That is search engine-like thinking. But at the same time, when I have a unicorn uh, being impaled by a narwhal on my blog, <laughs> that's something that, that treats image. people personally. I'm glad you like it. Me too. <laughs> it's kind of audacious. Or when I tell people, I'm about to post a blog post that tells people that they're startup brats, that they're spoiled and need to get over themselves. Um, and that's not search engine fodder, but that's definitely a kind of link bait, although it's true. Pat Patrick, the, one of the techniques that you use uh, with Bingo Card Creator is to create thousands of different bingo card templates relating to lots of different horizontal subjects, each being a kind right. of tiny little vertical in its own right. Is, is that kind of your most successful SEO strategy, this kind of automated... That is far and away my most successful SEO and marketing strategy, and it's the reason my business works. Uh, the, the recent Google changes, um, have they hit you in any way? Uh, I've been kind of busy this week working for other people, so I haven't really had all that much time to look into it, but I looked into it for maybe 10 minutes, uh, and uh, uh, it might as well have not happened. Like my, um, my AdWords report, uh, my... My plan B for getting sales is to get people from AdWords, and my AdWords campaigns are 80% uh, concentrated on um, content farms, like you know, demand media and et cetera. And uh, the, it, honestly, if you just looked at my stats, it's kind of a, a much ado about nothing. Demand media is spending as many clicks as it did the previous week, uh, you know, a module of the absence of Valentine's Day. Uh, and my pages appear to be ranking about as high as they were the previous week, which is you know, um, they were neither pushed out of the pushed out of the uh, index by the algorithm, which would have been really bad, but they also weren't pushed up by you know uh, content farms that I'm competing with getting knocked out of the index. Uh, taking that strategy in mind, if you go to plugio.com forward slash top five, I've kind of uh, tried to mimic your concept. So if I could just give you like the thirty second. Um, my 30-second opinions on this, I'm looking at plugio.com slash top five slash accountants right now. Yeah. And I don't think there is much reason that Google would send someone to this page. There's very little unique content on it with, regarding to, uh, with regard to accountants. Um, just, you know, it's five people who are automatic, five things that are automatically uh, uh, scraped from Twitter, so that's going to be more or less duplicated. And then... Um, Everything else on the page appears to just be templatized. Yeah. So, what Google do, what Google will do when it sees your web, sees your website and sees you know x number of pages is first it's going to try to um, kind of reverse templatize them to figure out where the actual like content on the page is. And so it's pretty much going to strip out everything on the top bar, everything on the left, and then pretty much all of that text because all the text is just like. Blah 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 blah. Accountant. Blah 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 blah. Lawyer. Blah 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 blah. Right. So if you wanted to do this, you might use the same idea that you have right now, and then write 200, 300, 400 words of 
why an accountant would want to use Twitter or something, put it at the top. Um, and maybe that would get you ranking for accountant Twitter. So, but how could, how could I scale that side? I mean, it's going to cost a lot to, to get, to, to pay for 300 words to be written about each of these subjects. Define a lot. Uh, I think 300 words for each of those subjects would cost like, what, eight bucks, nine bucks? Well, how many pages have you commissioned um, for Bingo Card Creator then? I have, let's see, 941 leaf pages plus content plus uh, category pages. So, we'll call it a thousand total. It would cost eight thousand for me to to get to the same place as you. Well, you don't have to get there all in one go, right, Justin? I mean, you know, do right. a you tenth can, of those. You know, right? Do a do a hundred to start out. Let's see if it has positive ROI. Now, in my case, um, I did one to start out with, and within uh, a few months, the, the one was responsible for like 60% of my sales. Uh, that's both slight words bingo, by the way. You only care about it that if you're an elementary school English teacher, but if you're an elementary school English teacher, you care about it quite a bit. Um, and so I thought, well, if one works, then, you know, 10 is 10 times better than one. It was not quite 10 times better than one, but it was much better than one. And then 100 was better than 10. And 1,000 is better than 100. And if I was not a lazy bum, uh, 4,000 would be better than 1,000. But I am a lazy bum, so it's been at 1,000 for a while. <laughs> and, and you commission these to have, what, like virtual assistants or freelance writers write up the, uh, the material? The vast majority of them are actually written by an English teacher in New Mexico. Um, I just put out a call on my blog, hey, do you know anyone who needs extra work and is involved and is interested in elementary school teaching? And uh, a reader of my blog whose wife was an English teacher said, oh, you should, you know, my wife would love to do that. And uh, we did that for about, oh, two and a half years or so. It doesn't look like your pages have 300 words commissioned on them. It just looks like a, a matrix of words for each one. So how does that, how does that work? Yeah, they're, they're probably a little on the light side. Uh, it mostly works for me because there's just so little competition with regards to owls of East Asia bingo cards. Um, let me think. So there's probably about 100 typical pages that have 100 words that are unique, uh, plus the picture, plus the PDF. I see. So, so basically, even like if it's really unique uh, content, it, like if it's really unique keywords, then it doesn't even matter if it's like a, a kind of, I guess, content farm style, because at the end of the day, if, if it's not on the internet anywhere else except for on your content farm, then it's going to be found. Well, it's, it seems right. to me like what, one of the things that about SEO, at least my sort of simple understanding of it has been that you see these sort of content farms that aren't really adding any value. But from what you're saying, it sounds like if you, if you try and break away from excuse me, templatizing stuff and you try and create really unique quality material, it's going to work. So like, well, his, his stuff is completely templatized. I mean, that's exactly what bingo card creators. But his are bingo are. cards. They're not, I mean, it's sort of a special case, isn't it? Every single page is exactly the same, just with slightly different words. Okay. So and it's only like about a hundred words per page kind of thing. Okay. So it may just work a little better in his case, but generally speaking, you want to try and make it not a template and you want to make it unique as possible for each one. Is that right, Patrick? Every page on the internet is templatized to some degree or another. Like if you go to Wikipedia, every page on Wikipedia is exactly the same modulo, all the stuff that's written on it. Except um, for some words. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, words are different. <laughs> so... You know, every page on Amazon is the same except for the price and the picture and uh, some words about the product that's on it. So you're going to have pages that are strikingly similar. If 
regardless of what you do, because nobody writes all their pages uniquely in Notepad. Um, what you don't want is pages that are so strikingly similar that if I do copy paste, like you know, search replace accountant and replace it with lawyer, then your two pages are identical. Or right. the most common, like really common things that people would do is they you know try to rank for I don't know um, HVAC repairman in some city, and then they you know just replace that with every city in the state, and uh, that's the kind of thing that Google would think, oh, that doesn't add much value. Now, if you were you know trying to rank for HVAC repairman for every city in the state, and you had something about Oh, I don't know what you would do to, you know, write interesting things about the differences in being an HVAC repairman in Skokie versus being an HVAC uh, repairman in Peoria. But if you were to try doing that, then, you know, you might have better than zero results. All right. And one of the things that you were writing about in your um, your post on my Ginkgo, which was entitled Adding Millions to Your Valuation Using SEO. Um. Mm -hmm. And that's a poor title, by the way. Ask me why later. Yeah, well, go ahead and tell me now. <laughs> why is that bad? Oh, okay. So, um, so kind of circling back to something that Amy was talking about earlier, you have to, you know, do your anthropological research and figure out um, what's the thing that your customer is looking at. And so, for that kind of post, we're um, MyGengo is a translation company, but that post isn't aimed at translators, and it's not aimed at customers of translation. It's aimed at other startups, right? And uh, like, say, folks on Hacker News. And there's a strong anti-commercial streak among the kind of people who we would hope to enjoy that post and then link to it. And so um, despite having foreknowledge for that anti-commercial streak, I went with a very aggressive title where it probably would have been better to soft pedal it and keep that as like the, you know, second subtitle on the page and have the uh, title be, I don't know, um, startups need to get serious about SEO. Or You you might have gotten away with that uh, because of your name, though, right? I mean, on Hacker News, you're a, a well-known um, brand, so you could probably correct, title almost but anything. I think it was less less effective than it could have been. Like, it got to the front page, but get the number one. And right. Although it sounds kind of... Uh, Kind of silly. Uh, it worries me. It's like I didn't get to number one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, we we, we call that ringing Dude. the bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but Hacker News has really gone to pot. The other day, <laughs> yeah, it was Natalie Portman, which is like shades of Slashdot, nineteen ninety nine, naked, petrified, and covered in hot grits. It's like, wow, mm -hmm. a movie star that you all wanked to when you were fourteen actually got a college <laughs> degree. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that's got to be frustrating, uh, I guess, from a, as as a female to see that because it's in a way. I don't care. I would think in a way. Okay, I would think in a way would come across as sort of patronizing. No. Right? That, okay. So, that a bunch of that a bunch of geek guys would be impressed by that. <laughs> what I have to say, this is important to life in general. It's never about you, so mm -hmm. I don't go. Oh, gee, it's about me because I'm a woman. Da, 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 da. Like, no, it's about them and because they masturbated to her when they were 12, 13, 14. It's not about me. It's not about being a woman. It's about them, you know? Right. Um, so I would actually say that, that Patrick shouldn't worry that it's the title, his, his post, that, can I say masturbated, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> you actually, said it. Actually, if you want to SEO this thing, say it a few more times. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, so that means that uh, when someone types in Amy Hoy along with some other questionable word, 
it's going to come up in Google. <laughs> oh. And I hope people, yeah, I mean, people do find me a lot by my name, but it's usually just my name. So to add some extra search terms would be really exciting. <laughs> um, so I also, I wrote this, this really great post that broke down my, my income from products um, from the past year. I wrote this in October and it didn't make it above 25. Like we're talking graphs, right? Like Patrick does. Mm-hmm. And no offense, Patrick gets a lot more money in this particular case. Like I was like how I made $216,000 from products, mm-hmm. you know, from G- January to October. You would think that the startup, like the hacker news, people would eat that up, but they don't, not anymore. What they want is they want tales of extreme hardship that led to like $2,000. And then they want like tales of no work at all that led to millions of dollars. Anything in between they're disinterested in because it's real. They want, they want the extreme. It's, it's entreporn. It's not actually about reading interesting things that will teach you stuff, how to make money. They want the tales of, you know, Shackleton earns $2,000 a year on SEO. Here's how. Shackleton, of course, being the guy who was stranded in the Arctic and nearly died, right? Right, right, so, right. Tale of yeah. extreme woe um, with the upside of a couple grand. And then like crazy random idea, uh, random stuff where people just luck out and basically win the startup lottery. So stuff in between where they actually have to be expected to do something. They read the article and they're like, gee, I should actually do that. I should do that. If I don't do that, I might be missing out on money. They don't want to read that because it makes them feel guilty. This is my new theory, I which like is why, theory. of course, Natalie Portman. And let's see what else is on Hacker News right now. What else? So over the past week, it's been incredibly stupid. Yeah, I was kind of bummed this week. Every day I was waking up to, you know, I, Hacker News is sort of my um, distraction site. So whenever I'm taking a break, I can't, a break in terms of I can't solve a problem or I'm bored of what I'm working on or whatever, I tend to go to Hacker News and, and uh, see what's up there. And it hasn't been as good lately. And I don't know if it's just random or, or just... Facebook bans AdSense in all applications, 45 times faster at programming, Fabric hits 1.0, and non-programmers apologies. These are more useful than usual, possibly because it's Saturday. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. What else? We have multiple pages, multiple pages about the IE6 countdown. Um, the last time I looked, the biggest thing was Natalie Portman, except for what was what was the the one that had a few more votes? Like she, she had like 266 <laughs> votes. Her her article, which is like a puff piece too. From zero to a million users, Dropbox and Zobni Zob- lessons yeah. learned. Zobni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, today it's it's not nearly as disappointing as usual, of course, just to confound me. Review so, my HTML5 game. Anyone in the UK using the long week to start a startup, please tell me that you are so I feel like I'm not alone. <laughs> so, okay, well, I mean, what's your prediction? Do you think Hacker News is on the down slide or do you think uh, it's going to be around for a while? Those aren't mutually exclusive. No, okay, I should say this. Do you think it's going to continue... Because it's been kind of an upward surge, I think, in terms of traffic, hasn't it? Yes, um, definitely. And how do you think this is going to play out? Is it going to go the way of, you know, Dig and everything else, which is that it, it peaks within a year, you know, maybe two or three years, and then too many people come in, loses this community, all the original people who are adding a lot of the value uh, start to leave, and pretty much, much it they've, turns. They've already started to leave. I mean, I've seen lots and lots of tweets and posts why I'm leaving Hacker News, which of course is like the ultimate navel gazing. Yeah, Um, It's already started. And honestly, how could it possibly last? The community of people who are smart and analytical and interested and action oriented and who actually ship stuff and make money is tiny. Right. So where are these people going? Is it just people who are going back to reading blogs and uh, and Twitter or, or what? I don't know. 
I don't look at Hacker News except maybe once or twice a week anymore. So I don't think I do anything in in, in exchange other than work. <laughs> I don't right. know what other people are doing to replace it if they're replacing it at all. See, I, I, I need to use it because I need to find topics for the show, and it takes me reading through it continuously to find enough things that I think are interesting enough to talk about on the show. Um, but lately I've noticed myself going to just a, just, you know, old school typing in the, in the URLs of like a handful of my favorite sites to get material directly from, from them because I keep getting disappointed. I keep going to the front page and be like, ugh, this is all crap. Um, See, it's kind of recycling the same stuff. Yeah. I, it's just, um, so I, I, you know, I don't know. I will, well, Patrick, what's your, what's your thought on it? Um, I don't know. The worse than the topic selection, uh, I've mostly been concerned with the the comment quality recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more, a lot more bickering, a lot more of the uh, um, the dig stuff. Well, w- one problem with it, one problem that the site has always had, and I'm not totally innocent of this myself, is kind of a intellectual one-upmanship going on, and it's getting more annoying and more acrimonious. Acronomious, like I don't know if that's actually English, but I've been in Japan for seven years, so got me some flack. Um, Close enough. But the uh, you know how people will post something uh, immediately after the article is posted to basically say, "Aha!" But the author has overlooked X, which I have not because I'm smarter than the author, and then 35 upvotes, um, uh, which is like one of my least favorite things about the site. One of my most favorite things is that everyone is mostly civil, which has not been true uh, as of late, uh, which kind of bothers me. Yeah, it was a very civil place when I first joined it. Well, here's the one thing I, I, I'm curious about, um, Patrick, because I think I, I've noticed that you um, you comment a fair amount and will write long comments. <laughs> um I, my, it would be my instinct not to want to spend a whole lot of time writing comments. I figure if I'm going to write something that's more than a couple lines, I might as well make it a post. Um, and I, because sometimes I'll read, I'll read this stuff and people will write a half a page or a page. I mean, it could clearly be a post in its own right, which would sort of, um, if they wanted to, if they're trying to build a brand, either because of a startup or whatever, that, you know, spending a few more minutes on it, fleshing it out and, and making it a, a post that in and of itself might go to the front page Hacker News as opposed to just some comment that's embedded in, in, in the middle of this lengthy uh, series of other comments. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, what's the motivation there to, to spend a lot of time doing that? So I totally agree with you that that is a better idea than spending oodles and oodles of time and getting 50,000 karma. <laughs> um, um, but... Um, Honestly, uh, I played World of Warcraft for a couple of years, and uh, there's just, you know, everybody has some weird little issues. One of my weird little issues is that there's a specific reward circuit that, you know, doing something and then seeing visual feedback of success, like, just trips something in me. Right. So, you know, like, kill a Foozle, get three gold pieces, buy a new, like, better item for killing Foozles, like, really does it for me. (laughs) Similarly... Posting something on Hacker News, and then refresh, refresh, refresh. Two comma, two comma points. Yay! Does it for me too. Um, <laughs> so uh, my business kind of succeeds in spite of that. 
Right. So but, it's, yeah. it's 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 probably it probably doesn't help you so much. I mean, if if you if you channeled eighty or ninety percent of that back into writing original posts, then probably be a better use of your time if you were really behaving mm, possibly. Um, I won't say Hacker News doesn't help me. I've met some excellent people through it and gotten a lot of business leads that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Um, now, right. is it the, you know, is every one of those 50,000-ish karma points earned from a post that was the best use of my time? And, well, let's plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> well, Amy, do you, do you ever spend any time commenting, or are you just more a, po- you, you write content? And- she, she barely reads it. Well, I that's what she to, said recently. No, no right. Oh, but I have like 5,000 karma, right? So oh, okay. um, that's not negligible. <laughs> I used oh, to write cool. quite a bit, but I don't think that people there think at all anymore. So intellectual one-upmanship isn't actually intellectual one-upmanship. Uh, it doesn't actually involve the intellect. It's nitpicking. Any idiot can nitpick. So I've posted some really good comments over the past few months, and like the response to them has gone down. Over time, so I don't bother anymore. Really? Hmm. Huh. So have, have you targeted any anywhere else uh, interesting that you may be kind of moving on to? I honestly think that um, it's time to create someplace different. It's the cycle, right? Alex Payne wrote, wrote this article about uh, how he wanted to create like the Hacker News uh, splinter group that was purely for the technical stuff, like the hardcore technical stuff. And that I had been thinking about this for a while as, appo- as opposed to, not technical stuff, but, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought here, but rather the bootstrapping sub-segment. Mm. So I think I'm going to create it. <laughs> I think I'm going to create a site to curate bootstrapping and products that you charge for, like practical, pragmatic stuff exclusively. And may- not make it like a Hacker News style community vote wins the front page, but, but actually curated by hand by people who care. And I've run oh. community sites before, and this works really well when you have an editorial control. So sort of like the Huffington Post, but for startups. The Huffington Post. <laughs> yeah, but for startups. Uh, Minus the sale to AOL. Yeah, I'm not really... It's a tabloid. Huffington Post is mostly a tabloid, so no. Well, it's 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 curated content. It's basically you know they they curate content that's submitted by other people. That's basically the whole thing. There's a difference between not posting every piece of shit someone gives you and being a curator. A curator actually has like a goal other than titillation, like a museum curator. There's a responsibility to the field and to your readers to do the best that you can do to pick the best things that you can pick. It's not just keeping the crap out. Okay, so would you, I mean, but also the other thing that Huffington Post do is they'll, they'll kind of go out and find stories that are not, you know, posted to them, and then they will kind of link to them as well. Would you do that as well as a curator? Well, yes. I wouldn't want to create all the content because I'm not the end-all, end be-all of bootstrapping and product sales. Um, I would definitely be selecting from a lot of resources out there, people out there who are already creating great content, different perspectives on bootstrapping and selling products. Well, what about, would, would you do this? I mean, would you sort of reach out to, say, I don't know, 100 people that you know who would, you, who would sort of be the prime generators of this kind of material, um, people you like to read, and tell them, look, this is what I want to do, you know, and have a handful of them help you as curators, but also try and write some content specifically for the site? I mean, or, or would it just be a matter of, 
doing kind of what I think Peter Cooper does with Coder.io, which is he just has a lot of algorithms that go and search for it, and then he curates, I think, some of it by hand. I would definitely invite people to be curators and to create original content, but that'd be further down the line. So I've, again, I've run community sites before, which probably no one remembers, but um, the small model of like five to 10 people is uh, really the best. And uh, that way you can have a cohesive uh, kind of style, but differing opinions, even though, you know, within that style. Um, but right now I just want to make a page that says, look, this is an obvious and very good alternative to the startup tabloids and the startup grind and the, the idea that, gee, if you just get $3 million of funding, all your problems will be solved. And to look at as a real business, the bootstrapping stuff, because it's, it's tagged lifestyle business, right? That's a slur. So I want to mm. basically go, hey, hey, stand up to be counted, right? This is real business. This is good. You're not alone. And here's some information and then move on from there. Yeah, yeah. It it is interesting how how much you read about that on, on Hacker News, which is about people who who they feel like they've sort of won when they get in a, a first round of investment. They're like, yeah, and this is how I did it, and now we're big time. Where it's just like you you're just sort of barely even getting started. And I, I mean, seeing as how it's Hacker News, which is based on Y Combinator, which is you know about that model, it's about getting funding, um, and uh, it's just interesting how I think that's kind of attractive to people because it seems a much easier goal to try and get funding. It seems kind of magical that it is building up a business. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think it's a substitute reward, kind of like, uh, uh, okay, I admit that I'm also very much not immune to the results of getting comments and, in the case of Hacker News, upvotes or clicks based on what I do. And I think the funding is very similar to that. In most cases, it's unnecessary. It's propping up something that's not a real business, but it feels good because it feels like you've won something. Right, right. Um, huh. so, uh, I think there's a strong element of, um, and you know, totally don't mean this as a criticism of anybody individually, but there's a strong element, particularly in the younger part of the Hacker News set, that um, and this was exactly me up through college, but uh, you're kind of, you spend oh, better part of like 15, 16 years of your life getting wired so that your reward structure is do something to please teacher. Then you get thrown out into the real world. And, you know, if you go to the corporate route, there's an analogous thing. But if you go into business, there's no longer an analogous route to do something to please teacher. But um, getting funding in some regards looks a whole lot like that. You know, somebody else has all the decision-making authority and you are supposed to jump through whatever arbitrary hoops they construct for you. And they will reward you with, you know, glances in your direction and you will smile and be happy. <laughs> um, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's funny if you think about it that um, if you look at the people who write about startups who started the whole thing, like, I don't know, Paul Graham, he writes, like, that hackers need to hack. That's what they do, that... You know, if you have a job, you're like a caged lion. You should never have a job because lions shouldn't be in cage. We're proud, noble creatures. Err. And then what does he promote? The model where you bank something. Uh, you Sorry, you make something. You get funding. Someone else can suddenly control you. And then you sell, which lands you in what? A job. So 
there's a little disingenuity going on here, I think. Disingenuity. Cog- like cognitive dissonance, that- right? You know, they're yes. just sort of, yeah, I think it's cognitive dissonance. You're trying to do completely two different things at the same time. You're trying to achieve some kind of freedom with the goal of then being um, put back in uh, prison. So that means that Hacker News, basically, there's just an inherent conflict of interest regarding bootstrapping and the whole concept of Hacker News and Y Combinator. I think well, so. I don't know about that. I could be the controversial one. Yeah, no, that's fine. Let's go, Patrick. Go. Oh, yes, Let's say that there's say, a spectrum of interests around uh, business models and hacker news. And, you know, one peak on that spectrum is, uh, is the investing model. Um, you know, the, uh, whether it be going through Y Combinator or going through any of the numerous other options for getting investment. And then, you know, there's uh, kind of geographically co-located, there's some bootstrappers. There's a whole lot of people on Hacker News who are neither bootstrappers, no, nor investors, nor in, indeed anywhere connected to startups at all, but who are just there for either the uh, um, the technical content or for a community of people who you know all use things that they've heard of and who are generally uh, decent people to be around. Like, um, I also kind of don't think that intentions matter much for forums. Um, you have the community that you've ended up with. So, you know, regardless of whether it might have been a YC only thing at the beginning, uh, Hacker News as it exists today is Hacker News as it exists today. It's got a, you know, its own weird little um, eclectic mix. Right, right. Which, and you could say much the same thing about Reddit or, or probably, uh, you know, like Reddit is a confused mix of, um, 16-year-olds and people who really like charity and a whole lot of uh, the absolute worst parts of human nature. <laughs> so I, this kind of leads me into uh, a question I wanted to ask you guys, which is, why do you do what you do? What do you think are the primary drivers for you in, in terms of being a, an entrepreneur and bootstrapping a business? And I'll, I'll start by just saying, I was, I was thinking about this last night myself, like what would be my answer? And, you know, I think, well, part of it is that I want to work on cool stuff that I want to work on. And if it's somebody else's idea, it's their dream. It's not really my dream. And it just doesn't feel, just doesn't interest me. I'm, I'm primarily internally motivated, not externally motivated. If someone says, hey, can you solve this problem for me? And if you do, I'll, I'll be really happy and, and, and tell you a good job. That doesn't really work for me very well. But the second thing I notice and this is <clears throat> runs pretty deep within me is is and I tell people this all the time is that I don't want anyone to tell me shit. Nobody is going to tell me what to do, and that's not an investor, that's not a boss, that's you know nobody. And what about a customer? Yeah, you know because they don't have enough power. You know if they don't, you know I'll take input. It's like I like taking input and advice, and I'll go out to lunch with people or I'll have a conversation with you, Justin, right? And we talk and. You know, you can give me your advice and I can either take it or I can ignore it. You know, it's, it's, it's up to me. You have no power over me. And the customer doesn't really have that much power, especially if you have more than, you know, it's not like five clients. You have hundreds or thousands. If, you know, you can take their input and you can, you know, you can either, you know, act on things they've complained about or ask for or not. But it's not like it's a boss or an investor who says, you know, Jason, I really think you need to do X and I want you to do Y. And, you know, it's like, screw that. And 
that's my personal thing is, is, just, is just that idea is that nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's my probably one of my primary jo- drivers beyond just wanting to work on something cool. And I'm curious where, what it is that drives each of you in terms of doing this kind of stuff. Um, Amy, why don't we start with you? It's a basket of different things. <laughs> um, I like to be told what to do by people who know more than me, but that's not all that usual, at least in the fields that I do of interaction design, especially. Um, I want to create awesome software that people use that makes the world better, and I cannot do that working for someone else because they inevitably screw it up. <laughs> I want to create, have a lot of money, and I want to run my own business, and I want to hire the team that I want to work with, and we can all just hang out and create awesome shit together, but awesome shit being things that make money. Or explicitly, we're just going to play around and make do some stuff for fun. Um, I find business fascinating and interesting, and I honestly think that the world would be a better place if more of us got into commerce. I don't see why commerce should be the domain of large companies that are anonymous and that um, are centralized. I think that the world is better if we know the people that we buy our coffee from and our our pizza from and our software from. Right. What are you, Patrick? Basically, this is the best job I've ever had. Um, and why it's the best job? Because it lets you do all sorts of intellectually interesting things with a lot of perhaps not strategic freedom, but tactical freedom. Like, you know, um, I have fairly little strategic freedom. Uh, as of, you know, tomorrow I pretty much have to, uh, my choices are either continue doing the bingo and the other things that I do or go get a job. So I've got lots of tactical freedom in that there's nobody who can tell me that, you know, at 9.30 in the morning I have to be in X or that I can't go home to visit my family anytime that I want to. Um, so that's a bit, that's a B for me. Uh, it, it doesn't really, like, you know, um, I have customers, I have occasional bosses when I do consulting. Um, it doesn't worry me that they can tell me, you know, that they need this feature or to take actions which are net negatives for the project. Like I know Amy had that double with that consulting clients, which is um, virtually inevitable. And uh, you sometimes have to just bite your lip and go with it. Um, but it really, really, really did get to me when I was working in an actual day job that, you know, just because of the way society works, someone would have the... Uh, would have the authority to say, oh, no, you can't go home to visit your family this week. Um, helpful note that my family's on the other side of the world for me. Right. So, uh, so for you, it's um, mostly about f- personal freedom and, and just being able sure. to uh, work on things that you feel like working on in the way that you want to work on them. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I could work on things that I want to work on um, even if I had a day job. But if I had a day job, I'd have to be somewhere every day at 9 o'clock until at least 5 o'clock and apply, you know, three weeks in advance for a day off. So, uh, right. been there, for me, done that. Achievement unlocked. Uh, I have no desire to do it again. Jason, I don't know if you want to hear from me. No, I don't want to hear from you, Justin. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Wait. Well, for me, it's... Um, there's, this, there's this feeling when you're working in a company and... Um, the people who are in charge go into an office and have a discussion and it's behind closed doors and you just know that something's going on that's going to affect your life and change, just change everything. And it's like, you've got no control and no capacity to, to know what's going on. And then they'll, they'll come out and tell you, okay, now this is the new, new direction. 
And I don't like that feeling of, of kind of loss of control. In right. That sense. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I think we all have, it's, it's all similar. It's all sort of a, a different aspects of this, of the same two or three principles, I think, or, or motivators, but they have different shades of, of, of why they're important. And I, I don't know. I, 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 just to reiterate one thing, it's like, I have this sort of aversion that I can't have somebody who is a boss. You know, I can't have somebody who says, oh, this person is above me. You know, that drives me insane. Having even the term boss, you're my boss. You know, it's like, screw that. You know, there's only one, there's only one problem with that, which is if you, if you've never had a boss and you can't have a boss, the chances are you're probably not going to be a very good boss. No, that's bullshit. That's total bullshit. That is, that is, that's, that's nothing. First of all, I, I've had a couple of bosses when I was younger. You know, I had worked when I was in college and high school, and I had one job af, out of um, out of uh, college. And the guy was a nightmare. He was a major asshole. If you ever guy, if you guys ever saw the movie Swimming with Sharks with uh, Kevin Spacey, you have some, you have some idea. Fantastic movie, by the way. Um, and if you you have some idea of what I went through for about nine months, and then I finally quit. And I quit on a high note, which is the boss who, this guy was the number two in the company, was really upset when he found out that, I, 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 that he lost me as a result of this guy being a jerk. Um, but, you know, I think that probably shaded it. It's like I will never again put myself in a position where somebody has power over me like that, ever. And, um, you know, and I, I don't think I ever really thought about it so much. I mean, I was always internally motivated growing up and, and uh self-directed, but it wasn't until after that experience where I was just like, I am going to fortify myself and fortify my position so that that never happens again. Um, and so that might be part of it. But in terms of the, you know, you won't be a good boss unless you've been bossed around before, or you, you won't be able to guide people or motivate people um, or organize people unless you've been motivated and organized. That's crap. That's, that's not true. I mean, you know, I've used this example before and, and, and you may think it doesn't apply, but, you know, I've run a men's like amateur semi-pro soccer team for 10 years and that's very much like running a company um where you have to get a bunch of guys you know all moving in the same direction all the different part of the city at a certain time doing things day in and day out working hard working together and staying together and that's that's the similar thing and, um that was just a matter of, of sort of learning you know on the job for that anyway um so uh i you know, uh, uh, Justin, unless you have a, uh, a topic, I got something else I want to bring up. Oh, go for it. So, and, and Amy, this might be something even more directed towards you, but Patrick, if you have any thoughts on it, I'd be curious too, is I had this idea yesterday of creating a website called something like Swarm Redesign or Swarmed or something where, you know, like every once in a while, a designer will say, here's my take on how MySpace should look. Or, and I can't remember the, guy, the guy's name uh, who he did a redesign of United Airlines website. What was that guy's Dustin name? Curtis, Dust, uh, Dustin Curtis. Airlines. Dustin Curtis, American <laughs> Airlines. That's right. <laughs> I thought I thought there's a Curtis in there somewhere. Okay. So I was like, what if you applied that and you kind of combine that with like anonymous, <laughs> anon, you know, like all just kind of agree to like attack some site that they don't like? What if you had a bunch of people agree that, you know what, this site sucks and it could be done so much better and you had some sort of sort of site that coordinated that. So like there became this sort of group redesign, like this is how it should look. And you could have votes up. You could almost have like 99 designs work where you have a bunch of people competing and getting voted by whoever is paying for the project. And you could have something similar to like that where everyone would be rather than, you know, paying everybody would be voting 
on which designs, which UI, which new feature, whatever would work best. And, and maybe it doesn't have to be a fully functioning site. But you'd have something like that sort of swarm redesigned. And what it would do is the people who did win it would get a lot of credibility. It's like, hey, man, this is how, you know, whatever Facebook should really look. And here are the three or four designers who all contributed. And, and this is this is. Uh, and in- inevitably, one day, uh, a real company would use something from that site and then it would really take off. Yeah. I mean, I just think it because they could go after big sites, right? They could say uh, Huffington Post site sucks and here are, here are all the reasons suck about it and you could have sort of message boards and you know whatever discussion about why it sucks and you have people volunteering and say all right i'll be the lead designer all the people kind of here's my submission of how this page should work and that page and have sort of like a sort of a a swarm uh crowdsourced redesign of a site you want my honest opinion you think it's crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no i think go. it's misguided that was, okay misguided to get something like this to work you have to put in hundreds of hours of community work and coordination work. Secondly, there is no reason for anyone to participate because the whole point of these high-profile redesigns is that it takes people right to your blog. Right. Um, crowdsourcing design doesn't work. You get mediocre crap design. And for the people who are good, there's no motivation for them to work on the site because they already will, if they want to redesign something and put it on their blog, people will come right to them. <laughs> You've right. been told, Jason. No, that's a good point. That's a good point, right? So if you want to waste hundreds of hours of your time on something that doesn't work, by all means, go for it. But I guess the real question is why? Why did you want to do this? Because it sounds like something just struck you in the shower. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? But wouldn't it be cool if? It's a terrible basis for anything. Except maybe like air guitar solos. Yeah, no, no. It wasn't like something I necessarily want to do. I just kind of thought, I just occurred to me yesterday as kind of an interesting concept of, of, of exactly. merging anonymous. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe it wouldn't work. I, I, I was thinking of for up and coming designers who are trying to make a name for themselves. Amy, talk us through why wouldn't it be cool if it's a terrible way to start anything? Because it's like ever taken a photograph and had someone say, wow, that's just like a postcard. And initially you were pleased, but then you later realized that meant you just took a hackneyed cliche photo that everybody else took. Ever done that? Am I the only one? Okay. You're, so, you're the only one here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we don't like know how that. to use cameras. <laughs> so what, what we all do, we all start off, and what we do when we're babies is we mimic, right? We make faces that our parents make before we're able to make any kind of thought or have any, you know, expressed emotions of our own, and then we just repeat words, and then we copy the people who are around us. And then when we're older and we can program, we copy people's ideas because they feel right and they sound good. You get that little thrill of like, woo. But um, I wrote this blog uh, or essay, really, a blog post essay about it that I called, Are You Thinking or Are You Farting? <laughs> and for Justin, like, it's the same thing. <laughs> for, so, for most of, it, of us, it's the same thing. Because, you know, when a baby farts, it laughs and it giggles and it wiggles around, right? At least the babies I know. Just like Justin, I'm telling you. <laughs> feels really good, right? They like it. Thanks. Um, and so they confuse it with something good. And then if they're not careful, they grow up to be people who adults who do the same thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm just kidding, Justin. Sorry. I just had to, I had to pick a name and you were it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just the sort of uh, thrill of recognition or this idea that, ah, oh, wouldn't it be cool if. And the thing is that, that wouldn't it be cool if almost never has anyone who wants it. It doesn't take into account how much work it would be. Would it really work? Does anyone even want it? And the answer is why? Why? Why do this? 
what what is the goal what is i mean what is the reason and you said that it would gain credibility it's like how do you know that i i, I would find that highly questionable i don't think that you would ever get anything but the worst designers who were trolling for like jobs on elance doing stuff and then it would be bad and then there wouldn't be cred be no credibility and then it would a designer who's a real designer would come and look at this and go, wow, this is really bad and walk away. It wouldn't play out in the way it did in your fantasy, which is kind of like, you know, a montage from the Karate Kid. And so... <laughs> I like that. I'm trying it's, to figure out which montage, but I like that. Okay. Because you're like, did you, I mean, okay, you know, look, or Eye of the Tiger, you know? Yeah. Like, all right, rock on. But it wouldn't really happen like that. So what do you think of 99designs itself? Do you think it's a complete fail? Do you think that the designs that come out of there are mediocre crap or do you think that they've managed to come up with a way for stuff to work reasonably well? I guess the question is, does it matter? I mean... Well, you're, a designer. well you're, you're a designer UX um, person, so I, to me, it, 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 is, it would be interesting to, to get your take on it. I mean, right? Because so if somebody's a non-designer who might look at that and say, ah, you know, I could spend $1,000, $2,000 and and, and get a bunch of different designs, and maybe that's a good solution, um, but maybe they just don't know any better. And I'd be curious from your perspective. I mean, you, that's, this is the kind of stuff you know about, you think about, you worry about. Sure. Um, I don't, what, I don't, what's your take? Well, okay. So as a business, they clearly make money. And I actually, for a while, in the very early, like 2001, I did some work for RTs, which was like similar, but logos, and it paid more. Um, but, you know, I was pumping out a bunch of logos every month just because I would read the brief. It was interesting. I would make something. And so it was kind of fun. And I made an extra couple thousand dollars a month. Uh, I didn't feel taken advantage of. Um, but I think that a lot of other designers, they look at this and they're like, oh, this is so unethical and inexcusable. And it's like tainting the idea of design. And it's like, it's not about you. Get over it. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. So Joe Blow down at the copy shop only wants to spend a thousand dollars on a website and a logo. So... If he's happy and the designer's happy, who the hell cares? And if the designer's happy, the designer can stop working. And if Joe Blow is unhappy, he can get a refund. It's, there's no ethical component to it. It doesn't matter. Um, design is not art. Art is not, even art is not art, right? It doesn't lift the human soul or whatever. It's, it's amoral and a, uh, um, it has nothing to do with ethics whatsoever. Well, okay, so what, what do you think of the quality that, that comes out of it? I mean, do you think the quality is low? Just you were talking about how when you have a crowd, crowdsource design is essentially mediocre. When you think 99design stuff is pretty low quality? Um, mostly, but that is, does that matter is the question. That, that no, I, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter to me. So if I was thinking about, like, figuring out how am I going to come up with a design for App Ignite and I don't have $20,000, <laughs> you know, right. to spend on some really high-end, um, well-known designer. I, I got to figure something out. So either I try and fight my way through it and do it myself, kind of according, which is what uh, Gabriel Weinberg was suggesting. It's what I've done in the past to some degree. Or I've hired designers, spent some money, gotten really frustrated to screw it and just did it myself in the end. Um, or do I try something like 99designs or, or do I try to hire a designer in a way and say, look, I'll give you some kind of, you know, uh, equity or profit sharing since I don't have a kind of money up front. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why it matters to me what you think, because you, you have an ex you're an expert on that. Hey Jason, um, let's, let's ask Patrick about yeah, it because right. I, his latest startup, he uses a logo from yeah, 99 okay, okay, But first I just want to ask, you know, that let, let Amy answer that question because I, I, I do want to hear Patrick's experience with it and his thoughts. So, 
design can only be as good as the client, but it can be a lot worse than the client also. Mm -hmm. um, and some stuff, the design doesn't really matter as long as it's not horrendous. Like most stuff doesn't really matter, you know? You want it to be somewhat suited to your thing, but the chances that your design actually, as long as it's, you know, professional enough and attractive enough, it doesn't matter. Right, right. And okay. that's my opinion as someone who makes software where design is everything. So it really depends. You know, look at Hacker News, right? right. So Patrick, what's your take on this? First, I think you can get terrible design at any price point you want. I mean... Pick a Fortune 500 company which has uninspired or bland design. They paid six figures for it, or six figures or possibly substantially more. Um, uh, also, um, echoing what Amy said, design, you know, after you hit a floor of quality, uh, yeah, a floor of quality uh, generally doesn't, like, you, if you graph design quality against business results, above abominable, all the way through freaking amazing, is basically constant. Like you, you know, until you get into the, into the stratosphere of oh my god, amazing design. There's very little marginal change in business results. So for businesses like a neighborhood pizza shop or somebody who just needs a design that's good enough to make someone not want to vomit out their pizza, <laughs> 99 design perfectly adequate. So like bingo card or for um, appointment reminders, the one that I do that has a 99 design logo on it. All I need to do is, like, I needed a logo that wouldn't scare away clients. And the logo I got does not scare away clients. And if it only cost 100 bucks, great. If I had spent, you know, 800 bucks or 2,000 bucks on getting a bespoke logo that would similarly not scare away clients, that would just be more money out of my pocket. Right. So you don't think that a site like, say, Quora, which has a really, I think it's, it's, it's I think people generally regard it as an elegant uh, design um, that doesn't play into why it's taken off. It had more to do with, say, the um, the seed community that went in that just pulled in other people. Is that what you think? Um, oh, I guess both of you taking that. So, Patrick, what's your thought? I, I think Quora is not Quora is not noticeably better designed than a lot than a lot of seventy dollars WordPress themes. Um, mm -hmm. What it has that seventy dollars WordPress themes do not have is that it has a aspirational lock on people who want to get VC funding. Because they have a you know seed set of users who uh, come from Facebook or come from venture capital firms, um, you know, and if you took that seed set of users and put it on, um, I don't know, the WordPress default theme, yeah, that would be a popular website too. Interesting. And, and they Amy? have connections. They have connections. Like, do you think Twitter would have start ever taken off if it wasn't started by a guy who'd already sold Blogger.com? Right, and he had I had a bunch of friends at South by Southwest that he could get using it, right? Yeah, and they and they all got it using it together at the same time. So it was sort of an ideal way to launch it's a it. connection. It started off really big, also in the Rails community. I signed up back when it had that really freaky, sweaty logo. Mm -hmm. and it was TWTTR. Like that was a logo that scared people off. It actually kind of freaked me out. It was like the logo was sweating. It was really <laughs> kind of horrifying. And I'll, I'll I'll dig it up for you. You just see it. It's gross. It's like yeah, yeah. nauseatingly bad. Um, yeah, and this was so 2006 when it launched, right? It's not yeah. like it was 1996. There's no excuse to have something that crappy. Because it was built in Rails, and it was like one of the first major apps from someone who we heard heard of, other than uh, this like the famed busted CD Baby rewrite. 
Right, 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 right. So it, it had the cat, two different community, at least two different community catalysts that I personally witnessed. And people don't ever think about that. And I have a long essay. It's like, so you think you're going to make the next Twitter? That basically completely demolishes the idea that any of us are going to make the next, next Twitter. And that's because we don't have the 13 years of business experience. We don't have the startups. We don't have the money or the connections or the wave to ride. And so the design of Twitter was ugly. I mean, it's um, still very different. <laughs> mm. I would not design it the way that Twitter is designed. Right. But it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't. Well, speaking of design um, and how you go about design, um, there was an article about how Core was designed in straight HTML, and, and 37signals has talked about that, how they design you know, in their HTML, just by writing raw HTML. They don't use Photoshop. And I'd be curious how you approach that. And also, Patrick, because I know you've done some work on your site, too. I mean, do you draw pictures of it? Do you scratch it on a notepad? Um, I mean, how, how, do, how does the vision take shape for you? That was Patrick, right? Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. That was, that oh, was okay. Uh, well, I okay. can start. You know, um, well, we'll start with Patrick. You know, and since I just said, I'll start with Patrick. I mean, how, how do you come, come with your sort of UI? vision how does that come together so so if you've seen bingo card creator which is uh, not exactly god's gift to design um that's pretty much like my baseline quality level uh i am not very uh artistically talented so when i'm designing an application or designing a web page to sell an application i get out my notebook i start you know putting okay it will probably have a header here and a sidebar here and then i write uh like boxes for what content goes in what areas. And then at that point, I go get a, uh, I buy a template usually. Um, trip out the, whatever the, uh, you know, lorem ipsum that's in the template and uh, inject my own stuff. And that's about, that's about as much thinking as I do about design. Um, and sometimes it has pretty decent results. Like I got an acquisition offer based on just the, the quality of the front page for appointment reminder, which, uh, and it blew my mind. That one was uh, appointment reminder. It might not look like it, but it's a $70 WordPress theme plus a $99 uh, logo. Plus, um, I got a designer buddy of mine to do the uh, to do the illustration for an undisclosed amount. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's essentially like a Frankenstein of of a couple of different like cheap off-price options, which combine to look like you know it is not made by someone living in his kitchen. So, by the way, do you live in your kitchen? <laughs> Sorry. I code in my kitchen. You code in your kitchen. I know. I just, yeah. I just like that metaphor. Um, so for me, I mean, my answer again is sort of a sideways answer, which is uh, I avoid cargo culting. So to say, well, again, like, well, Twitter was built in Rails, and that's why they succeeded or almost didn't succeed. That's cargo culting or or... 37 signals sign in HTML. It's like, well, good for them. Or is 99designs good enough or whatever? It does, all that matters is the results that you want and the, whether you get them or not. So, which I know is a very sort of weird and analytical way of looking at things, but that's just the way I am. So I actually, I do workflow on paper as wireframes and then I design in Photoshop. I design to the pixel in Photoshop or sometimes I design like a visual sketch and I wave it at Thomas and I say, make this happen. And because Thomas is a very designery programmer, uh, he can do that. But uh, 
That's just because we can communicate that way and it gets me the results that I want. I wouldn't recommend someone else, you know, do that, even if they were also a programmer and had married a programmer who had designer skills. It really, there's, there's, no, there's no true, one true way. Um, I honestly think 37 Signals interaction designs are bad. I thought they were bad the whole time. But you got to look at what they have achieved and respect that anyway and see that they can sell bad, featureless, boring, and clumsy designs to millions of people a month. And I can't do that yet. <laughs> so clearly, if I say 37 Signals designs are bad, then people should take my advice with a grain of salt. Right, right. Justin, well, what are your thoughts? Well, how, how do you go about it? Um, well, I, I use Balsamic. Sorry, just eating a banana here. I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, basically, I, I, originally, I used to just kind of uh, draw out the wireframes. I like thinking of it from a very basic viewpoint. And then I use Balsamic. But when I do use Balsamic, I think of the design in Balsamic, which Peldy actually uh, told me off for. He said, look, Balsamic's not a design tool. It's just a wireframe tool. But I, I do kind of like to lay out the components using it. And then basically I'll just uh, work up the HTML from that. I basically go from Balsamic straight to HTML. That's the way I've done everything I've done. I, I, as, a, as someone, I'm kind, of right in, I'm kind of stuck in this area where I have just enough of an eye to think that I can design without really being able to design. So it's extremely frustrating for me um, because I, I've, I have kind of what I think is a, um, I don't know, a, a high standard, but I can't reach it myself. Um, and I'd be curious, Amy, what were your suggestions to like, how, how do I work with a designer in a way that's going to be productive with my situation? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> except to say that we all have higher levels of taste than we can reach ourselves. That's the whole point. I mean, do you, do you get frustrated with yourself? I mean, you, you go through use designer design and just be like, you oh, know, yeah. why is this them together? And you just like, I suck. And yeah. <laughs> like, you have just... no idea how many designs for Freckle I threw out. They weren't good enough right. for me. Yeah. It's, that's the nature of creating. Right. And how do you avoid in a new design, how do you avoid not being too influenced by other sites? Because I, I, I find myself, if, if, there, if there are two or three sites that I really like, that I start gravitating towards a design, and, which is a mistake because then you, you look like you're doing that. And it's almost like if you're, writing a, if you're writing a story, you wouldn't want to start writing it after reading a book from some, other, from some author because you, you would almost start mimicking their voice. You know, you, you have to kind of avoid doing that. I mean, do you, do you ever feel yourself getting caught in that? You're like, you see some new, a couple of new designs, you're like, yeah, this is really slick. And then all of a sudden you're like, this keeps leaking into your own designs. Yeah, sure. I think the idea of a personal style is a load of crap for the most part. Um, all of the great writers and painters and composers started off mimicking exactly the people who they admired. Even if you try... Even if you try and copy someone, it's very difficult to copy them accurately. I mean, that's true. With with Plugio, I've literally tried to copy the Apple website, and I <laughs> abysmally failed. But it it basically is as as um, Patrick and Amy have said. It passes the basic level of uh, okay, it's not going to turn people away because it's too ugly. <laughs> you know what I actually did was the first version of Prezo. I um, it was back when before so Prezo um, it, it, Patrick and Amy, if you don't know, was 
my first big web um, project, and it was a web-based version of PowerPoint. And um, yeah, I wrote a big article about how it almost got acquired by Google, but ended up not going and not happening. So when I first built it, the only thing that existed at the time from Google for the Google Office Suite was uh, well, actually, no, there was the, the there the spreadsheet and the word processor. And so what I did, I said, you know what, I'm going to design it to look like how they would design it, so it would fit in there. Just just to give myself like a framework, so like I could have something. And I have to spend too much time thinking about the design. And I ended up, before releasing it, actually completely changing that because a few friends of mine were like, yeah, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, so Patrick, for you, not being a designer, do you, when you're coming up, when you're thinking about some new product or, or UI, do you say, okay, well, I'll just make it look like this kind of other thing that I kind of like temporarily so that I can get some something up there? Or do you just go from scratch and just have something really plain and then add on? Um, again, my typical design workflow is I pick a template that looks something other than abominable, and that's the last I think about design. <laughs> so, um, Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of um, mental investment to create something from scratch. Um, so if, if you can use a template or base it on something else, it's it, because you're standing on someone else's shoulders, you've saved yourself about four hours work right there, you know? Yeah. Cause I, cause I, one thing I've noticed, but design can take a ton of time. I can find myself just sitting there, you know, pu pushing pixels for 10 hours straight, you know, just staring at it staring at it, tweaking this and tweaking that without making a whole lot of forward progress necessarily. And so I'm always worried about falling into that time trap. So I kind of worry that, and this is not specific to design, but when you find yourself doing that, that might not be design sucking up the time as a uh, psychological inability to make forward commitment, uh, to make forward progress on the project and sucking up the time. Like you can spend an infinite amount of time, you know, fine tuning the minutiae of your SEO strategy and an infinite amount of time getting the program exactly right and an infinite amount of time getting the testing exactly right. But um, a lot of people, like, they allow that to become a blocker for the project where you really have to, you know, okay, say, all right, it's good enough to launch and it is, you know, at whatever crappy state it is right now, it is not crappier than stuff that has gone on to succeed later. So launch it um, and then start refining on the stuff that, uh, uh, that you know, you have evidence uh, the business needs to get done. Right, right. So, um, Justin, what? Well, how are we on time? Well, we've hit the we've hit the one thirty mark, so we've done we've done our time. Okay. <laughs> do you want to? You know, I was thinking maybe we should do then real quick is just kind of ask uh, Patrick and Amy a little bit of what they're working on, just so that we can plug their projects. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Okay. So now that we're you know we're getting towards the end of the show. Um, Let's just hear a little bit about what each of you are uh, working on and, and what you're most excited about. So, Patrick, or actually, Amy, we'll start with you since Patrick was just telling us about his, uh, his thoughts. So, you, uh, you have the 30 by 500? Is that yes. the course? 35 500 is a course you have for bootstrapping entrepreneurs. And yes. you're working on Freckles. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about those and anything else that you're, you're working on? So 30 by 500 is a program that I've created with just about everything I've learned through years of procrastination and then turning that around and launching actually uh, Freckle, which is a software as a service, uh, JavaScript Performance Rocks, which is an ebook, 
and Thomas and my JavaScript training workshops, which are, which are live workshops uh, in the span of a year. So wow. that was 2008 was really quite crazy in 2009 too. But in 2008, we had $0 revenue from products. And in 2010, it was $300,000 in revenue from products, including the training courses. Oh, so okay. I have learned a lot about making sure a product sells from the get-go, um, coming up with the initial feature set, figuring out how to sell it and market it, and getting it launched and managing it after that, and, and working with, like, Freckle didn't give us very much income at first. So we had to come up with income elsewhere because we were committed to it. And all this good stuff. And I poured that into one course that is supposed to help people avoid getting stuck on an idea, avoid getting stuck on the marketing, avoid getting stuck on the implementation, and actually get a product out there that can make them money from the very first month. And that's what the product is. That's exactly what it is. I help people ship products that will make money from the very first month. And that's 30 by 500. Now, with 35,500, before we move on to anything else, that, go, that happens what? Like a couple times a year? When, when, does it, yeah. when does it start? How much does it cost? So it I'm about to wrap up the first version of the class, 35,500. The previous version was called Year of Hustle, and I've refined it dramatically since then. Mm -hmm. um, it's about to wrap up. I'm going to start launching the sales for tickets for the next session in the next few weeks. And that will probably include a self-guided version that can be bought multiple times a year, but only two Twice a year will I run the version where I actually will answer your questions and help you because okay. I can only manage so much of that. <laughs> I have to keep it small and regularly scheduled. And in terms of the, the products that the other products that I mentioned. Well, look, uh, real quick before, before we move on, one other question sure. about that is how many people are in the course at one time? 75. 75. Yeah. And uh, any chance that we can get a coupon for a texting listener or two who. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. And uh, what about also, not, an, another question is, of your first course, has anyone launched anything? Yes, one person has. Another person is already in private beta. Um, another person is actually launching. Well, they've actually already launched a workshop, but they're not giving it for another week or two. Um, so, so far, yes, a few people have. Uh, and a couple others I'm trying to nag into actually launching. Because um, I know that they'll make money if they will just put it out there. But no matter how much I'm telling them that, if they just put it out there, they'll make money. They just refuse to put it out there. It's, uh, it's overwhelming, the fear. Failure like, to launch. Yes. Yes, like a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really, I understand the fear, but you have to decide, I think, at some point. Do you want the fear? Do you, do you care more about the fear or about you know, living your life and getting the results you want? And uh, unfortunately, you can't have people's revelations for them. <laughs> Right, right. Okay, and so go on, you said, and, and you were going to tell us something about Freckle? Yes, so uh, Freckle is growing, but we're actually gearing up to launch in small stages our next product, which is a much larger product, which is Charm, uh, Charm Desk. That's charmde.sk for now, while mm -hmm. we prepare the final domain name. And that is a customer support tool, and it's of a like a, an order of magnitude larger and more delicate project than Freckle. But I'm very, very, very excited to get it out there because I think it'll also make a hell of a lot more money. How did you build? I remember last time you told us that Freckle, last time you were on the show, you told us that Freckle, you had a couple guys work with you and they actually did most of coding and that you had some kind of a profit sharing arrangement with them. They weren't actually paid as freelancers and they didn't have a direct equity stake. In right. Freckle. So right? I wouldn't have said that they have did 
the majority of the coding. They helped Thomas okay. with the coding. I didn't do any code, that's probably what you're thinking of. Okay. Um, my husband, Thomas, who has written Scriptaculous, JavaScript framework, among others, uh, did a lot of the Ruby and Rails work as well as the JavaScript. And um, these two former partners did the billing code and some other things. Um, and one of them contributed some design work as well. And yes, they had a profit sharing agreement, but okay. they, after about a year, they didn't want to work on the project anymore. So I bought them out. Okay. Okay. And did you do anything like that for uh, Charmdesk? No, I'm just paying for it. Development. Oh, okay. And, and so, so, uh, is, um, is Thomas doing the core development on that as well? Or is this a whole different, uh, he's uh, doing a lot. He's doing a lot of the development. Okay. And, uh, he is managing, uh, we have one freelancer who will probably join our company as a partner in the future, who is really awesome. And then we had another freelancer, but he's taking a trip around South America without a laptop. So there goes that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and we're currently looking for one more Ruby on Rails uh, freelancer to help us with Charm. Cool, cool. Okay. And anything else you want to tell us about? Because mm, I'm not sure see. that's enough. We need I'm more. I'm not sure. Need more? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think you're doing enough. We're, we're about to launch also a smaller application, which is a, a to-do list application that integrates with Freckle okay, called Knockout cool. Lists. Cool. Well, that's cool. And, uh, well, okay, so we need to, so if you're a Texing listener, email uh, Amy Hoy at, you can just go, your, your, your website is what? Unicornfree.com. Unicornfree.com. And can they just email Amy at unicornfree.com? Is that your primary email? Amy at slash7.com. Slash7.com. And, uh, yeah, talk to her about getting in that course. I know a buddy of mine who I grab lunch with every week, Pat Maddox, I think is, he, he signed up for that course, right? Yeah, yeah. He's really excited. And I told him I would guarantee him a seat because I think he was worried that he would miss out. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty fired up when I told him we'd be interviewing you. Pat's I awesome. Much. I love he's, Pat. He's great. Um, and, okay, so Patrick, tell us about, tell us about uh, your stuff because you had, there's Bingo Card Creator, which a lot of people already know about, but has been doing really well and has, I think, allowed you to achieve financial independence. And then you're, you're pushing beyond that. So, yeah, what's, what's the status? So yeah, um, I've been crazy busy the last two months, so I haven't really gotten any update blog post about it, but appointment reminder is doing decently. Um, not blowing the doors off decently, but I have oh, somewhere on the order of two dozen people who have given me their credit cards for it, um, and maybe, I don't know, about a half of those are looking like they're going to actually convert. Mm -hmm. uh, revenue so far, because I, I launched in early December. And, <coughs> And then after launching, pretty much said, okay, I'm done with work for December. I'm going home to enjoy Christmas. And got back to actually, you know, marketing the sucker in January. So things are, um, uh, you figure, 30-day cycle until I get first payments. So I've gotten money from about five people for it. Uh, the new feature that I'm excited about was launching the white label version, um, which was actually launched earlier this week. Uh, white labeling is when you allow someone to offer your service under their brand name which a lot of people who are like um, a, a website consultants, for example, uh, who are working with a particular company and have a, a client relationship with them, will want to say, okay, uh, we can build a uh, appointment reminder service for you very cheap, and it will, you know, let you um, let you do, 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 make appointment phone calls or SMS messages or emails to your clients. And uh, you only have to pay a X amount of money per month. What they do is they turn around and pay me, you know, uh, part of my fee. And then I actually provide the underlying service for them and they just put their logo on top. 
right, uh, right. and interest in that has been running very, very high since I launched. So it looks like it's probably going to be that the public for, the public version of the software is probably just going to act as a um, mostly lead gen for the appointment uh, for the uh, white label version. Okay, and didn't you do uh, now? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Appointment Reminder has is an integration with a key part of it is an integration with Twilio. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, because you were talking because I think when you I think I remember you writing a, a post about this how you were looking. I don't remember if this is quite right or not, but you were almost looking at the Twilio um, technology and trying to figure out how that could be leveraged to solve problems, and then that was part of the genesis of your thinking for Appointment Writer, or am I wrong about that? No, that's totally accurate. Um, I think Twilio is one of the one of the biggest uh, opportunities in like disruptive technology in the last couple of years. Um, Twilio, if you don't know about it, you, they let you basically uh, control phones via HTTP. So you can do things like um, call phones with a, a simple API integration into your language slash framework of choice, or you can have someone call and talk to essentially a web app. So, you know, uh, hit one and it'll make a post to a particular URL on your website. You figure out what to do and then uh, pass Twilio script for, you know, play them this message or ask them to hit one if they're coming to their appointment. And because it allows pretty seamless transfer of data between a web application and uh, someone on their phone line, it literally opens up new worlds of possibilities for useful things you can do for customers. Um, and without having to get into any of the ugly telephony coding, like figuring out how to work asterisks, which if you've ever looked at asterisks is, oh, like spray some holy water on that from a safe distance, because <laughs> it's definitely too old to double. Right. Now, Twilio is, um, essentially their, their primary, their core business model is that they're just essentially an API, right? They're like one of the first API-only companies, right? I mean, that's where their money mm -hmm. comes from, is yeah, they're, using their API. Right. Um, their metered usage, you know, at the Twilio, what is it, two cents a minute message or uh, two cents a minute on the phone or a dollar a month for a phone, uh, for a phone number. Right. Um, right, right, right. Um, and uh, the other thing I was going to ask you about, too, is uh, before we sign off here, Justin is uh, Skyping me telling me we're an hour and 40 minutes in. So, but the last thing I have a question about is... Um, You've been doing a lot of sort of consulting work for people based on your expertise with SEO and A-B testing and stuff, right? Like you, I think you were actually even mm -hmm. flying around the world helping clients or something like that. Could you, is there any, could you tell us a little bit about that? It sounds kind of interesting. Sure. Um, this is actually most of the, more of a sideline for me. Um, and this is one of the you know, nice things that happened out of participating in Hacker News. I met up with another person who happens to live in uh, Chicago, which is where my family's at. And uh, his name's uh, Thomas. And so Thomas and his business partner, basically, uh, we had an idea, oh, let's go out and get coffee together. And they interrogated me for three hours, uh, like something out of Guantanamo. And then said, by the way, if this hadn't been, let's get coffee, if this had been, you know, not you employ me to tell you about how to do marketing on the internet better, we'd be writing you a check. And I said, well, What's an engineer worth for three hours? Like 300 bucks? That's not worth worrying about at Christmas. And then they threw out a rather larger number for what, what they would consider to be fair for the kind of advice I was giving. And I'm like, oh, 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 really? <laughs> oh, then maybe I should look at this consulting thing. And um, so it's a like 
not where I want to be for the long term. Um, but I did maybe, I'll call it eight weeks of consulting last year, probably uh, six to eight weeks, and maybe six to eight weeks of consulting this year, just to, you know, uh, it's, I get in intellectually interesting pro uh, projects for very fun companies to work with, which are largely not pathological clients. Um, the nice thing about only working six weeks a year is you can tell, tell a lot of people no. Right. So are you, are you sort of budgeting that, something like that? Like six to eight weeks is what you'll do and that's it? It's, it's kind of my, you know, when I'm looking at my, uh, my numbers for this year, I'm like, I think I can give six to eight weeks without, without, you know, dropping a ball anywhere else in my life. Like, um, I want time with my family. I want time with my girlfriend. I want to work on my projects and I also want to not be working as hard as I used to. So, um, six weeks, six to eight weeks sounds reasonable to me. Right, right. Okay, well, Justin, I guess uh, I guess we're out of time, right? We've been out of time. I think that's the wrap. I think we're, I think we're, we are. We're in overtime. <laughs> Double overtime. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on. It was uh, it was great talking to both of you again. Um, always learn a lot, and I, I know our uh, listeners are going to be excited to hear this show. So, um, and we wish you guys the best of luck. So, Amy with uh, thirty by five hundred, with Freckle, with Charm Desk. Um, and everything else that you seem to be doing. I'm sure there'll be two new products by here. <laughs> um, and uh, you too, Patrick. Um, always insightful stuff about SEO, about testing, about analytics, about just how to, how to make it happen. And we wish you the best of luck with uh, Appointment Reminder and uh, Bingo Card Creator. So thanks again for coming on. All right, yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>